0: Well good morning everybody. Good morning. Welcome to Banbury Christian Fellowship Church on this the 8th of January 2023.
1: A very warm welcome to you if you're here in the church and I would be looking at the camera but I can't see it for right now but a very warm welcome to those listening in online as well. Uh, we're here we're here to worship God. We do that through uh, our singing of hymns and praise songs. We do that through prayer we do that through opening up the word of God and this morning um, Duncan our pastor will be opening up a passage from Acts chapter 16
0: all about the breaking of chains by God. Verse 16. As we were going to the place of prayer we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. The Philippian jailer converted. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly, there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, do not harm yourself, we're all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. But when it was day, the magistrates sent the police, saying, Let these men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No, let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia and when they had seen the brothers they encouraged them and departed. Amen.
1: Well let me also add my welcome. Um, It's lovely to have you with us today. My name is Duncan. I serve as pastor here and uh, delighted to uh, be part of this service and to open up these words from Scripture to you today. I wonder if over the holiday season you managed to catch A Christmas Carol. Uh, I don't know what your favorite might be, um, whether it's black and white, whether it includes Muppets, animated, surely you caught a glimpse of it at some point. miserly and mean-spirited Ebenezer Scrooge is transformed into a warm-hearted and generous man. Scrooge sees vividly that he must change or face eternal misery. That's what's put before him. The suffering ghost of his dead business partner pays him a visit and warns him, I wear the chain I forged in life, I made it link by link and yard by yard. I girded it on of my own free will, and of my own free will I wore it. Would you know the weight and length of the strong coil you bear yourself? The message is that Scrooge's selfish living is binding his soul with chains that will bind him for all eternity. He needs to be freed. And at that point I suppose there's something perceptive here, you could even say there's something biblical here about the pain of a misused life, how it enslaves people and it will enslave them forever. Yet Charles Dickens tries to convince us that all Scrooge needs is a bit of perspective. If he gets that he can live a better life. And he can then break the shackles that threaten to ruin him. And even though I get tearful watching it year on year, a Christmas carol is actually an anti-Christmas carol. The name of Jesus never appears in Dickens' novel. And Jesus had no part in Scrooge's deliverance. While in fact, the power to break the spiritual chains that bind human beings is not found within us. It is something that God must do for us. And something that God has done for us in Jesus Christ. The part of the Bible we're looking at today is a repeated testimony to the power of Jesus Christ to break the things that bind people. This message about Jesus says, chains shall he break? This book of Acts is the story of the early days of the Christian church and how through the church, Jesus' mission to save people from their sins advances. Uh, so before Christmas time in this church, we, we read the launch of the first mission to what we now call Europe. In Acts chapter 16, Saul, uh, Paul and Silas, along with Timothy and Luke, they arrive in the Greek city of Philippi. The first convert in Europe was a businesswoman called Lydia, whose heart the Lord opened to hear and believe Paul's message. It was a wonderfully calm, straightforward, peaceful scene of rejoicing. But if the missionaries thought that this was how the rest of the mission in Philippi was going to pan out, they were in for a surprise, as we just had read to us by Liz. Now, they say that there's no such thing as bad publicity. The only thing worse than people speaking about you is what? People not speaking about you. The Apostle Paul did not take that view at all. In verses 16 through to 18, we read that someone follows this missionary team around the city day after day, shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Now, what she was saying was true, but not all publicity is good publicity. Because here, the centerpiece of the mission, which is the message about Jesus, could very easily become obscured. And Paul eventually loses patience and he intervenes which allows him to be absolutely clear about something. The power of God comes in the name of Jesus Christ. The power of God comes in the name of Jesus Christ. So this situation we're introduced to is wretched, isn't it? A girl who is enslaved by wicked men is also enslaved, as it's put in verse 16, by a spirit of divination. Luke, who wrote this book for us, understands that an evil spirit has dominated this girl's life. And her owners, far from being concerned for her welfare, are cashing in, hiring her out as a fortune teller. Now, whatever abilities to see the future she may or may not have had, they came from an evil place, not from God. And in fact, Jesus Jesus and his ministry often encountered people who were similarly enslaved by evil spirits. And when they saw him, they would cry out things like this, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? And that's what the Spirit in Acts 16 sees in Paul and his colleagues as well, representatives of the most high God. You know, this is part of the the Bible's explanation for why the world is as it is. There is a supernatural dimension to life, and there are good and evil spiritual forces in this world. And this girl is, for us, but a picture of what these wicked, anti-God spiritual powers do to human beings. They bind them. They enslave them. Now, Philippi was a Greek city, and this kind of of peddling, of fortune-telling, was associated with the world of the Greek gods, and in fact, it wasn't unusual for Greeks to refer to Zeus as the most high god, the sort of language the slave girl uses here. And here's the thing, the Apostle Paul did not want his message associated with that world at all, not for a moment. He didn't want or need any kind of endorsement from the voice of a demon, and so he does in verse 18, the miraculous. He says, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And the spiritual chains of the evil spirits were broken instantly. The power of the Most High God is on display here, but specifically, this miracle takes place in the name of Jesus Christ. The Most High God whom Paul represents is not one of many gods. He is the one and only God over all who has revealed Himself to us through His Son, Jesus Christ. And this is such a, a valuable point for us. You know, the Christian message should never be vague. It's not simply a message about God or even just a message about knowing God. I mean, it is those things, but it's far more specific than that. It's the message of God's rescuing power that comes to us through Jesus Christ. It's common for Christians to speak about how they became a Christian and for it to be vague. That's why it's so refreshing to have heard Christine's testimony today and for her to be able to display that in baptism. Because too often we settle for someone being able to say, well, I believe in a God. Oh, I listen to God now. I felt like I heard God speak. And that all might be well and good, but on its own, it's really not saying much at all. No, instead Christianity speaks with real clarity about who God is and that's what Paul looks to do here. The power to break chains that bind us is not some vague idea of God but it is in the God who has a son, who has sent him to be a savior of sinners, who lived, died and rose again so that we might be forgiven and set free. Believing in God doesn't mean much. Which God? The God of the Bible who has spoken decisively to us in the person of Jesus Christ, that is the one true God. And that's the conviction here. Everything is centered on Him because without the name of Jesus Christ, there is no knowing God at all. For God's power comes in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, we don't know what became of the slave girl. We're not told anymore. I think generally the assumption is that she's specifically mentioned here because she became part of the church. But her special power is now gone. Her owners were furious. That wonderful human trait of being more concerned about money than people, on show in Philippi here in Acts 16, so much so that they stir up unrest in the city. Paul and Silas are brought before the authorities, and if you look at verses 20 and 21, you see what they're accused of. What is it? Disturbing the city, advocating customs that are not lawful for Romans to accept. They know what they're doing, these guys. Philippi was designated as officially a Roman colony, which means that it had been granted special status by Rome. And so the rulers were anxious about anything that would make them appear anything less than totally loyal to the Roman Empire. So the magistrates in that fear have the missionaries beaten up and locked in jail for the night. For releasing a slave girl from bondage, the missionaries now find themselves in chains, feet secured in the stocks, there's a lot of surprises in this part of the story, a lot of surprises. The first one in verse 25 is the singing. Now, come on, admit it. You have to be in the mood before you start singing, don't you? You've got to be in the mood, and you've got to be in the mood to hear someone singing as well, usually. And can you imagine having suffered a beating, being thrown in prison? How in the mood would you be for singing then? And yet, here they are singing hymns to God. That's surprising, Hold that thought. We're going to come back to it later. And then, verse 26, there's the obvious miracle of the earthquake. The foundations of the prison are shaken. The shackles come free from the wall. The doors come off their hinges. God has literally broken the chains that bound his messengers. And then, here's the next surprise no one escapes from the prison. In verse 25, the prisoners are listening to these guys singing. And presumably, they continue to listen to them as they say, look, just sit tight, lads. They stay put. Paul and Silas, they stay either because they want to make a point to the authorities, which they'll do the next morning, or perhaps more likely for the sake of the jailer. Oh, the poor jailer, woken by the earthquake, sees the doors wide open, and he assumes what we all would assume, as prisoners have escaped on my watch. The jailer was probably an ex-military man, knew the shame that a failure like this would bring. He knew that it would surely cost him his life. And he's overcome by all of that. And Paul steps in and saves the jailer from himself, assuring him all the prisoners are still here. And it's this combination of surprises, surely, the singing, the earthquake, the voluntary imprisonment it can only mean one thing, that these men must really be what they claim to be. I mean, he knew why Paul and Silas were in Philippi, why they were in prison. They'd been wandering around the city for days with this girl with a megaphone shouting, these are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And so the jailer, he falls down before them and he asks the most important question that he's ever asked in his life, You see it in verse 30, he says, what must I do to be saved? These are guys who proclaim salvation, what must I do to be saved? And so having shown that the power of God comes in the name of Jesus Christ, here we see even more specifically that the saving power of God comes through faith in Jesus Christ. The saving power of God comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Because, you see, Paul's answer is simple. Believe on the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Now, we're told that that's not everything he said to the jailer. See, in verse 32, they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. So, what were these things that they shared with them the primary aim of this mission was always to tell people about Jesus. And probably Luke doesn't record the specifics of what was shared because, well, for the previous 15 chapters, he's been recording what they've been sharing. Their message was that Jesus is, Jesus is God's long-promised rescuer, whose identity you can be sure of because of the miracles that he did. He was unjustly sentenced to death, but God raised him again from the dead. And it's because of this you can be sure, sure of who he is, and sure that his death on the cross was no mere accident of history, but was God's determined plan. We're all enslaved by sin. This is their message. We all have this unbreakable attraction to the things that are against God. We don't honor or love God as we should, and we're enslaved by that way of thinking and living. Each one of us needs to be saved. It doesn't matter what we try and do to be right with God, we cannot get there. Even those who had religious laws could not be freed from their sin. And the liberty that comes through faith in Jesus is pictured in what the jailer and his family do. You see in verse 33, they were baptized at once baptized in water, as you've had done before your very eyes today. Symbolically, yes, they're washed, and more than that, they identify entirely with Jesus, who was dead and buried, and who rose again from the dead. And so too, this Philippian jailer, along with his family, are saying they have died with Christ. The old self is buried with him and now raised to new life. The old shackles have been destroyed. And now we're on a new trajectory. And so in a sense, the answer to that question, what must I do to be saved, is nothing. Simply believe and trust that the Lord Jesus has done it all on your behalf. And that's what baptism is testifying as well. It's not something that says, here's what I have done to be saved. It is one that says, I am one with Jesus who has done everything I need to be saved through his death, burial, and resurrection. You'll have noticed that the jailer's household or his family was baptized as well, which often raises the question of, well, who should be baptized? Does that include children, whether they have faith or not? And you may well know that Christians. I've come to different conclusions on that question, but in terms of this passage of scripture and indeed the book of Acts as a whole, we must be very careful not to assume too much. And I say that because, well, if you just take a note of what it says, it it doesn't tell us what the makeup of the jailer's family was. Notice also in verse 32 that the missionaries spoke the word of the Lord to all who were in his house and that in verse 34, the entire household rejoiced with the jailer. And so it doesn't seem a big stretch to say that, well, whatever the makeup of his family was, they were all old enough to be taught this message about Jesus. They were all old enough to respond in rejoicing in this way. And so the consistent practice in the book of Acts is of people being called to faith, faith in Jesus, and to give evidence to that faith by being baptized. And that is the same call that goes out here today. Each one of us needs to be saved. Jesus said, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. And your experience and mine tells us that that is true. There is a magnetism to the things that are against God, and we are drawn to them. We cannot help but make ourselves God of our own lives. And when you can't escape from something voluntarily, that is a form of slavery. And each one of us will stand before God one day. And what is it that will deliver us from the life of rebellion we've lived? Nothing inside of us. Not behavior modification. Not even buying the prize turkey and sharing it with Bob Cratchit is going to rescue from that. No, only by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is what God's call is today. Believe in Jesus and find salvation. And if you are saved, then show it by being baptized. The life of freedom that Jesus brings is immediately on show in this passage. The man responsible for keeping Paul and Silas in chains is now, what's he doing? He's nursing their wounds. He's giving them a meal. Well, what else would you do if you realize that actually it's your brothers who are here in need? This chapter of the book of Acts powerfully shows us that faith in Jesus changes priorities. Faith in Jesus changes priorities. And we see the immediate change in outlook from the jailer, but we have, in fact, already seen this in Paul and Silas. Are you still holding that thought from verse 25? How could these men be praying and singing worship songs while still sore from a beating? It's precisely because of this, because faith in Jesus changes priorities. People were coming to know Jesus Christ, And that was more important to them than a few cracked ribs. And we see that again in how the mission to Philippi ends at the end of Acts 16. The magistrates of the city, they felt as if they'd now taught Paul and Silas a lesson. And so they send some officials to go and let them go free. But in fact, the injustice that was inflicted upon them was greater than first thought because we learn now that Paul and Silas were both Roman citizens, and that that afforded them certain rights. You know, it was a crime against Rome itself to subject one of its citizens to a beating or to imprisonment without a hearing. Oh boy, if Rome found out about this, this could mean trouble for Philippi. And it's at this moment Paul claims his rights as a Roman citizen and forces the magistrates in verse 37 to apologize and personally escort them out of the prison. The missionaries are vindicated of having done nothing unlawful. But why now? I mean, just think about this. Why didn't Paul speak up earlier You know, just as they were taking out their rods to give them a thrashing, why not at that point say, oh, by the way, guys, I'm a Roman citizen, when it could have benefited him somehow? I think the answer is the same as why he didn't want the slave girl doing his advertising. Paul was careful not to allow anything to obscure his message about Jesus. So, think about this. They were being accused of being disloyal to Rome. And if their answer to that accusation was first of all to say, oh, no, no, we're Roman citizens, it would appear, wouldn't it, that their first allegiance was to Rome, just like everyone else's was, when in fact, Paul wanted them to know that his first allegiance was always to Jesus Christ. Jesus must be central even if that means taking a caning. So we do have a follow-up question though, don't we? So if he didn't want to say it then, why does he choose to say it now? I mean, he's already suffered. What's the benefit? At the very least, we can say this. Paul's actions here shows us that there is a time for Christians to claim their rights. To be a Christian is not to be always a walkover. Paul's focus was always on the mission. He could see that his time in Philippi was up. And he's going to be leaving behind a small band of new Christians. The only people who can possibly benefit from him taking this stand is them. And so what he does by insisting on his rights, insisting on the public apology, is that he lays down this marker in the sand. He forces the governing powers to acknowledge that they don't get to just dish out beatings to people just because they follow Jesus. I fear, my friends, if the Apostle Paul was around today and he took that stand, Christians would be queuing up to denounce him for being a nuisance, for not being submissive and not being terribly winsome. Paul was taking advantage of legitimate protections for the work of the gospel. It was never about him. It was always about the bigger mission. Now, we live in a part of the world where supposedly our rights to freedom of speech and to freedom of religion are enshrined in law. We have courts that have, again, supposedly promised to uphold those rights, And for that, we should be thankful. For not everyone has that today. In Scotland, the church has a legal right to meet. Individuals have a legal right to speak the gospel. And in fact, to express what the Bible says on every issue you want. And when authorities ignore those rights then it is a time to speak up. That may take different forms. It is a time to contact your elected representatives. It's a time to write letters. It may even be a time to take legal action. Not because we like a fight, not even because our human rights are the most important thing in the world to us, but because of the mission to make Jesus known. We are here to worship and to glorify God, and to tell people about Jesus. There was no real advantage to Paul in claiming his rights, but to those left behind, to this next generation of Christians, who knows how precious his bold stand might have proved. And for us, in March 2021, the Court of Session in Edinburgh ruled that it was unlawful for the government to close churches, and concluded that the forced closure we had endured was an unlawful and disproportionate interference with people's rights to freedom of religion. Now, some might have had concerns about the timing of asserting those rights, but those who took this challenge forward have set a precedent that has secured our right to gather for worship, and surely that must be a good thing. It didn't get the churches reopened any quicker, but it has laid down a marker that protects the mission of the gospel. And today these challenges continue. The Scottish government's proposed ban on conversion therapy. While it is right for them to want to to tackle abusive behavior, coercive behavior, these things should be outlawed and probably already are. But the breadth of these proposals are, as they stand, an assault on the proclamation of the gospel. They are an assault on regular pastoral care. They are an assault on what Acts 16 is screaming out to us, that when people come to faith in Jesus, their priorities change, they are converted. This is a time to speak and to assert our rights not for notoriety not as an outlet for our frustration but for the mission for the mission freedom to be Jesus's followers and to urge others to follow him too that's what we aim for and I would commend to you organizations like the Christian Institute who have successfully stood up for Christians in these kind of areas Important to say, however, Paul didn't always win those battles. You read through the book of Acts, read through his letters, he did not always win those battles. And Christians in Scotland still do not always win those battles. But praise God, our hope is not in legislators or laws. Our hope must ever and always be in the unstoppable gospel of Jesus Christ. For if the book of Acts teaches us anything, it is of God's unstoppable mission to make a people for himself, so that even if all protections were one day stripped away, nothing can take away the saving power of Jesus, who gave himself for us. He must be central, because God's power comes in the name of Jesus Christ. God's saving power comes only through faith in Jesus Christ, and faith in Jesus changes priorities. Let me present him to you today and to urge you to come to him and to be saved, to be freed, to find salvation. Amen. Thank you for being with us today. Um, Just to say, please do stay for tea and coffee afterwards. You're very welcome. Um, I'll be down the front here if anyone wants to speak about anything that they've seen or heard today. Uh, But again, let me just uh, thank you and let me pray for you. May the Lord bless you and keep you May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you.